Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the sociology staff room. Hello, and welcome to the sociology staff room. I'm Katie Tyler, and with me today, I have Amy Rose, uh, head of sociology, a teacher for over 20 years, to talk to me today about oracy in the classroom. So I'm super excited. Thank you, Amy, for coming to speak to me today on a cold Hello, November welcome. evening. Ah, I'm so ready. We're talking. We're doing oracy. It's a very like a yeah. nice introduction there. So obviously, putting me under pressure. We just sort of said before we sort of started recording that you know it's feel a bit under pressure to sort of perform with regards to my oracy. I'm not making sure that I have clarity. Um, obviously, as a teacher, we've been reading a lot about oracy and the importance of that in the classroom um, and how it improves. I suppose understanding of students across a range of abilities and the engagement across students um, from see, primary school through secondary school and sort of the importance on that and there's greater importance on that and I'm interested of how that might look in sociology because obviously sociology lends itself so well to oracy I'd assume but then how does that how does it benefit I'm really sort of intrigued on your understanding because I know that you've been working a lot on oracy and that's why we've got you on here today to pick your pick your brains around oracy so I suppose my first question to you is how does it benefit us as sociology teachers why would we want to even embed that well I suppose to start with like when you say the word oracy it just strikes fear and panic into us as teachers if someone was to come in and say oh I'm going to come and observe do learning walk and look at the oracy in your room and also for students as well it's that one sort of thing that you can't hide from you feel very exposed and in terms of sociology we have so much tier three language um, that in order for students to access the higher marks in the higher tariff questions, they need to better use with some confidence. And these are words that they don't come across every day and they have increasing complexity. So for them to access our subject when they haven't, majority of them haven't done it at key stage four, um, we need to build up their oracy skills quite quickly with that. And so it helps them then access the reading and the, the literacy that they need to do um, really well uh, in sociology. If you take away the words and the confidence in the vocabulary, you know, you can tell you get uh, sort of plagiarised bits from textbooks. They don't understand it because they can't use it, because they can't access it from, you know, other subjects. It, it has no uh, similarity with that. So for sociology, um, we, we talk, I mean, ironically, we actually talk about the importance of this in sociology. So if we're talking about uh, the need to talk and the learn to talk in a specific way and learning through talk, I mean, most of the listeners should be thinking about Bernstein's restricted and elaborated codes. And, you know, there is some irony in sociology that we, we teach these things that can help students to learn and achieve. And yet in front of us are students who don't understand that. So therefore they don't uh, achieve like that. Um, it's really important holistically, not just for sociology, but the Education Endowment Foundation did a study, um, and I'll talk later about this, about oral language in interventions, and it can have uh, up to six months additional progress. So given wow. that we only, and, and at really low cost, it's talking, you don't need to buy anything or anything special device or anything. So if we can just harness those skills and get it embedded into our routines quite quickly, then we can, speed up that gap that our key stage five students have because they don't have prior knowledge of the subject unlike some other subjects do so it really is important 
for us and for their progress to, to get it right for them quite early on. Mm, you said some really interesting things there. I mean, obviously, the sort of, it really resonates with me. Obviously, I, I must admit, I, lo I love to talk. Um, but I said it isn't just about talking, but you said a couple of things there. It's interesting to see that you said that it is so true, isn't it? That so much of our sort of curriculum is based on that understanding of this sort of high order language that we expect to use in a sophisticated way in order to access exams, to understand the like, obviously, the literature and research around it. Um, and then obviously, we teach it, like you said, with obviously the elaborated code and the importance of it. So, so much of it is, is draped in this sort of assumption of language that we done that their students and, and the teachers will understand this. You mentioned as well that we have to teach it quite quickly. So I'm going to pin you down on that as an idea. You know, we've got a group of students that's like, for some of us, we might be teaching at Key Stage 5 only. This might be the first time we see them. We're trying to remember their names. We're trying to build a relationship. And we're all supposed to teach social. And we're now to be bedding um, oracy and many other sort of initiatives that go on. So how, what are your top tips for building that uh, quickly? Because I know you said that we've got to do this quite quickly. So I think essentially what I was getting at there is like the, our content and the maybe the lack of uh, contact time that we have with them with with that pressure to get through it and to get them up to a level speed and standard um, that they might not be used to or familiar with like if they uh, follow on their subjects from key stage four but with the speed I mean like I said at the beginning where it sort of strikes a bit of fear like other teaching and learning strategies and um, implementations we're doing that all the time anyway. Every teacher is doing something to do with oracy. It's just that you might not explicitly be thinking of that or writing that in your plan or your scheme of learning. Um, and so it's just, um, I'm all for the sort of the hacks, the, the quick wins. Uh, otherwise we all get completely bombarded and overwhelmed with all the other things like retrieval practice and metacognition, uh, literacy, all of those things layering on top of each other. Which one do you focus on? And so, I think the speed I was getting at was this idea of if we can get it right quite quickly, the, the students will as well, because teachers need good oracy. And it's just to be mindful of that. So um, studies in oracy observing classroom teachers note quite often like 90% of the talk in the classroom is by the teacher. So if we could just sort of be mindful of that to start with, they're hearing words, they're hearing direct instruction um, and explanations, but, but are they using it? And it's that sort of retrieval and use of it that we just need to sort of push back to them a little bit. And it's okay for us to be quiet and for, and for them to talk as long as they're using the right words and we've modeled it for them. So usually what um, my uh, esteemed colleagues and I in our department that we are working on is this sort of real terms one and two is all about strategies and modeling real high expectations of oracy in the classroom with this expectation that we should we could remove some of those scaffolds as we go. And actually, when we talk about when I talk about oracy with uh, trainee teachers, it's not let's talk for a whole hour for a lesson. I mean, it, this is going to be exhausting because high quality talk is really tiring. If you're thinking about what you're saying to articulate yourself in the right way, to use all the right language um, and to challenge yourself with all your connectives and things. So it's short, sharp, chunks of talk in class that's really productive to, to really boost it. Um, and we can motivate students to do that because they need that for the world of work. They need that for, um, I was talking to a colleague the other day where you're writing UCAS references and a common thing is student X contributes really well to classroom discussions. 
what, what is that? What, where, what's your bar of contributing really well to good discussions? And, and do you feed that back to them? Do you actually praise them for what they've said? Or is it like, good, you, you know that concept, let, let's move on. So it's about sometimes drawing a breath and thinking about, is there a little bit more explicit instruction I can do about how they are talking in class and to signpost the benefits of it? And the sooner you start that as a routine, to, to start with like I'm thinking with year 12, then the easier it gets and the more sort of strategies and the bigger focus you can put on it later on to year 13. Mm, so, so much I just took away from that. Sorry. Just, <laughs> no, but it was just like just digesting it all. I think I think from what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, sort of, to, sort of, to sort of summarise it, what I'm my takeaway that I'm understanding is that at the moment, maybe some of us, not all of us, but some teachers potentially at risk of there's too much teacher talks to sort of throwing a bit more of that onto the students, but also in, in doing that, in ensuring there's that role modelling that's going on, that scaffolding as well for the students so they know how to talk and what way to talk. Um, mm. And then and then ask to put it back on those students and giving more opportunities for oracy to take place in the classroom. So I suppose my understanding would be something like if, um, and then also and in addition to that, praising the students. So when, rather than just saying, oh, good discussion there, it's like, oh, that was a really good contribution when da 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 da, or you you said that with clarity when you said da da da. So, for example, uh, would it be something like, you know, say a student gives you a key concept, and you know, for example, let's stick with Bernstein and elaborated code there, which you sort of gave an example. You could say, well, tell me a bit more about that. What do you mean by that? How do you like sort of really almost unpick that some sort of Socratic question? Am I right in thinking? That's how you would unpick that? For, for yeah, so day. it's very much the, the how and the why rather than the what is it. Mm. Um, and you can go, you can scale it back so you can do a bit of morphology. What's the mm. root of that word? Um, mm. Because let's face it, there are some concepts in sociology mm. where you can kind of go, what does that word, what's another word for that? We can sort of mm. unpick it. And then there are others where they would not have come across a word like that before. Let's think about mm. anime. And mm. we, yeah. you know, in a lesson, no anime right let's move on let's do an example let's evaluate it and you can just tell verbally from their contributions um i've had this with with some students where they're it's really great they're volunteering the answers but their pronunciation of the the words are wrong and that's the same with like mm. theorists and they just get stuck with it and then we get it all gets a bit lost in translation so yeah it, and it's really yeah about the modeling and like i said it's this thread that runs throughout all our other strategies. So if you're doing verbal feedback or a bit of metacognition and you're speaking your thoughts, you know, it's that, like you said, clarity, and it is all about uh, modeling the good way of thinking and using the right language and questioning yourself and ironically elaborating. So uh, when we were doing this this week uh, on speech codes, it came a bit of a joke where they would say something and I'd go, can you uh, elaborate on that? We were really drumming it in. Um, and all this extra description, because that's part of the sort of analysis skills as well that they need. It's not just plonk a concept in there that you know is sort of to do with that topic and move on. They need to, to be able to unpick it. And also with, with the feedback, um, one of the aspects looking into is when we do checklists and we do target setting, so often it's on their written work and their organisation and how much of it is actually focused on their contributions. So. You know, can you devise a checklist during a specific period of, of discussion time where you go around or you get other students to go around and you say, what was their body language like? 
Uh, how many words were they, you know, using? Did they just, did they um and ah a lot? Uh, did they sound confident? Um, all these extra additional skills that then, for some students, that's a, that's a really nice win for them because they might not be translating that straight away into successful writing. So if they can say it first, then you can praise that and build on it. Um, and then they could even do something like this. They could even record themselves and get a transcript and you sort of pick it apart like that, um, rather than, you know, there's such a density of written work and focus on that as where we base our, our targets and our interactions with students that sometimes, especially when you've got a double lesson, there's definitely time to have that rich talk. Mm, it's that rich talk that you mentioned that's so important there. Um, and I think with sort of the point of saying is sort of like, I thought there was something that I'd just like to pick up there is sometimes we sort of go straight into the essay work, but actually if we spend time on the oracy, then hopefully the idea is that as I understand the foundations of the analysis, understanding of the key concepts can then be applied through writing once we've grasped that verbally. Is that, am I right in understanding that? Yeah, and, and it can bridge some gaps. If we think about, um, so you've got a range of students and you know, some large classes now at sixth form um, with a range of additional needs that we have to incorporate that maybe 10, 15 years ago we didn't have in front of us. And so those students who struggle with writing or who are dyslexic, but, but can talk so really well. So we need to channel that and get them being able to talk sociologically, using the concepts, building up that confidence. And then we can encourage that with scaffolds, you know, onto paper and to help them with that. But if it's you've always got to write it, then you've always got a barrier there for some of those students. Yes, yeah, so diverse, diversifying the, the learning that happens and the process of assessment potentially. Yeah. Um, what I was also interested is obviously you sort of alluded to it earlier where you were sort of talking about how we, it's about hacks and you were mentioning hacks mm -hmm. and that we have as teachers got things so I'm sort of cautious to teach and I suppose like you we've been both teaching for roughly 20 years that we're sort of hesitant to to do things just for the sake of it because an external force is asking us to do that. But then some things obviously offer merit and I, I am of a believer that oracy is one of those things. Um, how then do we incorporate it with some of the existing things? So like, for example, retrieval practice um, is sort of quite fundamental in learning. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that works. How can we sort of pair those two together? Would that be simply like, you know, having a key concept on the board and those students revising that might be something or making a verbal link to a to the new unit or something like that. So some that concept that flows between lots of different units, like thinking of labelling for argument's sake. Um, is it a way of using retrieval in that way and oracy? Is that something we could yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly trialled lessons where, um, and I think this is also sort of broadly like we talk about lots of other strategies. Um, it's not to do it for the sake of doing it, it's to find something that works for your teaching style and for the classes that you have in front of you and to adapt it. And it helps broaden the experiences in the classroom and, and the climate as well. Um, so, for example, you can use it for retrieval and consolidation. If you're if doing a lesson going over broad topics, we're not going to reteach it. We need them to also identify their gaps in their knowledge. So. For example, give them lots of cue cards, which they pick out at random that has keywords, for instance, on the family. So it could be demography, secularization, um, dependency ratio, those kinds of things. And to start with, they can do um, uh, whether they're in pairs or groups, one selects it and describes it. 
but you can't, you know, all those sort of games. But, th but then you go up a level and you sort of go, which, which pile are those that you don't know that you couldn't speak about? Um, and then they use some time to look at that. But then you go through the now quiz each other again. So you, you can adapt strategies. We have a checklist for every submodule that are, uh, can you describe, can you explain, can you evaluate, outline, all of those things. Can they do it verbally? It doesn't have to be, they have to produce written work for every single thing. And that can be quite a good intervention in a class if you think, oh, it's been quite reading heavy and you know the mood is a bit down. So let's, let's inject a bit of discussion, but with some focus. You don't need to have something very specific for that task you can adapt with your questioning and you turn it into that discussion uh opportunity but being mindful of course if they're really on it it's not going to take as long as you think it, it's mm -hmm. not a whole hour it, it's in with other um elements of retrieval practices that you do yeah so it's not an add-on necessarily and that's what we would avoid is just things for the sake of it actually i think mm -hmm. so one of the things i like doing is like with the concepts is giving the students all an individual key concept each and so make it a little bit more high, like higher order by getting them to find someone or a couple of students that may link to their concept and why so it's not just like i've got to find that person i then have to discuss with that person do you think i link or not and then explaining yeah. what that link is and why and that might be through evaluation they link or through supporting yeah. or something like that so i suppose it's those things we probably do without realizing or sometimes i know for me, when I'm quite stressed in, in teaching, so when it gets sort of like an May time, uh, when it's exams in year 13, I feel like I, I throw all my sort of techniques that I normally use out the window and go really into sort of that panic chalk and talk mode, which I sometimes have yeah. to be mindful actually, is that, is that just me in panic mode or am I doing what's best for the students there as well? Um, thinking about this as well, working in, so we talked about embedded, I've got some sort of cut questions here, that's why I'm sort of looking and thinking about talked about that really want to think about sort of like well then what do we do when we manage the classroom so like for example with anything like obviously we either may have students that really don't enjoy this so like for example i mean i, I try and not for classroom management technique but i try and move the students every half term sit diff somewhere different because i've said that when you work with someone that you constantly work with then you can get lazy in your explanation because you have that especially with friends you know you, you talk in that way like you know what i mean yeah and there isn't really that need to elaborate um and so i do it because you get used to talking to someone that doesn't really understand your normal way of speaking because they're a stranger in inverted commas they're not your best friend but um what do you do then for like kids the, or, or children or students who I'd be mindful not to call them kids and I was like really right what's, what's the what's the appropriate <laughs> word here yeah. um what you know either that how, basically how do you manage it for the kids that or students want to dominate the, the oracy or those students that really really just don't like it. it's not their comfort zone this is not something they want to even pursue in an area of career um it's like their least favorite thing to be doing what do you do then like I suppose it's managing them the students and their their ability of oracy or their love they might, they might have an ability for it but i suppose their preference for it if you i mean when i started looking into this in more detail um i'm then mindful of the students who have really good oracy when they have a problem with what i've asked them to do or really good oracy when they haven't done a piece of work and they're giving me the explanation for it or they're just having a good whinge so a lot of students can it's building up that confidence and so you do that with gentle step by step 
sort of opportunities to do it. So this is definitely not a you got year 12, right, folks, we're all going to do massive hour long presentations, you're all going to get up and stand up. And you know, your friends might take the mick out of you mispronounce words, that kind of thing. It's sort of bit, real baby steps. Um, I suppose it's making the intention clear that you know, it might sound like a bit of bribery, but you you can't write stuff on a UCAS reference if they don't have it, at least have a go. And that in the world of work and higher education, they would be expected to have a voice. And so let's start now rather than have to somehow develop that quite quickly in those settings. Um, and providing scaffolds, just like you would with uh, written work, um, discuss, sort of, and that can be the routines of it as well, not just you must say, uh, I agree with or I disagree with, but just the, um, don't dominate the talk you can have uh one um sort of like, like a trio of reading where one person is actually like the moderator so they're not they're listening which is part of oracy as well so they're sort of saying okay you've, you've spoken a lot uh, like a, a mini debate uh, it's modeling it um and you could do it in small groups as well it could be an intervention uh, it doesn't need to be all in a whole class setting it's very dependent with uh, the class sizes you have you know, I've had class sizes ranging from eight to 25. So your your discussions are very different and what you feel confident that you can try are very different in those settings. Um, so it's basically knowing your group, basically, and, and what yeah, you're Yeah, one of the sort of ambitious projects is with, I suppose, what, almost whatever class size you have is to um, deploy the sort of the Harkness model from Wellington College, which is it's, it's not teacher, you know, the whole uh pose pause bounce it, you know all of that where it comes back to the teacher it's you're physically sort of you're all sat in a circle and you're making sure everybody has an opportunity and gradually that the students direct and, and pace the discussion you can do that with a small group but you can't do that with a class of 25 but that idea of sort of challenging them as well and, it, and it's quite a good opportunity if somebody does dominate it to say i'm really pleased you know that you're so passionate about this and you have lots of views but i'd just like you to take a step back and think about how you could um articulate yourself in a different way or respond differently and think about how you know giving other people an opportunity as well because that's as important you know with saying stuff as well mm, and i suppose it goes back to that thing of just giving people roles as well and sort of uh, yeah. knowing i think sometimes as well i know it's an old-fashioned technique but so that to sort of they think pair and share but i think the students that that sort of live answering questions for some students puts them into panic zone and fright and flight mm. but even that moment where i've got some classes that are a little bit more quieter than others and you think well actually you just need two three four minutes with a pair to sort of ensure you can articulate what you need to say to formate the formation of what you want to say and then then share it where obviously you've got other students that are able to do that uh with a lot more ease um it, it's sometimes that sometimes it's the old techniques also work as well don't they it's not always like you know like all the other ones that go along you mentioned research earlier as well um yeah and i want to know a little bit more about it because i see you know it's always nice to hear a little bit of research you said you might come back to that later so i'm sort of holding to account on that so so um there's lots of different types of research you can access um and the education endowment foundation has uh quite a lot and it's easy to access and it's got little posters if you want to share it uh with other colleagues um, for instance, on the um, oral language interventions, uh, but also on, you know, um, oracy crops up uh, just with literacy, 
for example. And the idea uh, is sort of points two and six on the literacy interventions. And it is that explicit teaching and opportunity to provide um, structured talk. Um, and so it does become an increasing focus, dare I say it, for like Ofsted inspections as well. It's not what are we saying and what are we doing? It's what are the students uh, saying and doing it? And really importantly, that link to like, if they can say it, then uh, it filters down into their uh, literacy. Um, one of the biggest pieces of research uh, funded by um, the EEF was um, the Oracy framework of uh, Voice 21, which is yeah, um, a project time, yeah. Yeah, uh, conducted by uh, School 21. Um, book here. Yeah. Uh, so teaching, uh, transforming teaching and learning through talk, the oracy imperative. Um, and that's loaded with ideas and case studies and examples and sort of structure if, if you want to focus on things. And that is essentially where you sort of, um, that's a really good go to place if it's part of someone's appraisal targets to, to look at there. You've also got uh, Tom Sherrington's walkthroughs about direct instruction. Um, so there is a lot of research and the real big thing that really sort of reminds me of the need sometimes to push a little bit more to incorporate it into my lessons is this 90, 90% talk is teacher talk. And it I kind of, I'm mindful of that in a lesson when I'm thinking, I think I've said too much, you know, I'm doing my direct instruction. I really think it's time they work a bit harder now um, and especially targeting the students who uh, are not talking appropriately or on task. Um, and it's also bearing in mind the Oracy framework uh, points out that Oracy includes sort of four key elements. So you've got physical Oracy, which is where we're looking at, you know, can they assess each other's body language, uh, facial expressions? Then you've got the linguistic side and the cognitive and the, the social and emotional. So you can incorporate that into a form of assessment. Um, again, you know, elephant in the room is leadership teams want some sort of hard and concrete for, you know, assessment with green pen feedback, put it in a folder. How do you transition from doing something based on a discussion to, to have it evidence of that? But I'm sure there's a way of working around that because it wouldn't be all the time. Um, but the, the evidence is definitely there. That, and it also, as sociologists, the evidence is there that students from poorer, more disadvantaged backgrounds uh, are really at a disadvantage when it comes to oracy. They're, they are the ones that lack those skills. And again, it goes back to what we actually teach, um, but that sort of, I think they call it the Matthew effect. The, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that's just with oracy. If, it, if we don't really target that, model it for them um, and help them with it, don't just expect them to be really good with oracy, um, then their reading and their writing will become more fluent, but we can't expect you, know, you often hear the emphasis of, you know, you just need to do more and revise more and read a bit more, but they need access to it to start with. So they need to hear us using that language and describing to them why we're using it in that context um, to start with. So there, there is, um, and I'd say enough research. I mean, it depends what your schools and sort of developmental targets are. And they kind of sort of shift yearly. And I think Oracy is a really good example where it's not start finished. It, it goes throughout the key stages and um, you can tell students who have gone to schools with really good oracy foundation lower down the key stages because they're there in front of you they know the routines and uh, they're talking to you really well they're, they're adapting to your subject and those who maybe have missed that rich experience mm, so so important i think my biggest drive from i've read some things you've mentioned particularly the voice 21 and i think 
I suppose I'm hesitant with the big O, oh, that's a sort of, you know, I understand that's there. But actually for me, it's what I read that was really important was the self-esteem thing and the work around self-esteem. Um, and actually giving people a voice, particularly people who don't have a voice in our society. So going back to sort of sociology and the sort of the morals around that, you know, ethnic minorities, uh, lower income families. I suppose from that sort of that point of view, I feel like, well, actually, it's so important they do have a voice because it's about that self-esteem and actually to not be, you know, to, to, to feel empowered. And I suppose that's, you know, yes, we've got Ofsted, yes, we've got performance reviews, duh, 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 duh. but actually when we've got those students right in front of us, I think that's why I feel personally so power, passionate about Obviously, I think one, one thing I think is something that students can access quite quickly and do quite well at um and feel like you've won they've they're winning like they're oh i can i can talk about this um you know maybe they don't like pen to paper and they, do you know what we've won some circle time whenever we do obviously those feel like <laughs> you know i mean obviously they always feel like it's something they can do and then secondly i think obviously or most importantly i think it's that self-esteem for students and and you know, like i think you mentioned earlier about them going into the adult world and and feeling they've got a voice and their voice is going to be listened to as well. And if you're listening to them, that's the, and valuing what they say, I think that's really important and really empowering for them as well. So lots of things to consider, lots of things to, to read, uh, but I'm sure as teachers we're doing this already. And I do like that sort of idea of re-looking really at the, the balance of who's doing most of the talking in the classroom as well, which is just yeah. really sort of, <laughs> uh, yeah, basic. basic but, yeah. Basics, yeah, when we first start then uh, our, our sort of, own pedagogy as well and it's good to revisit those things isn't it because sometimes we sort of you know things come and go at the moment you know it's a lot about retrieval and roses shine and I'm sure uh, a lot of us that are a little bit older feel like have we not done this already like <laughs> we've been doing this for a while um, yeah yeah and finally in fashion I think I've said this before but I find in fashion I sort of never I, I've been doing that sort of for quite a while now it seems to be back in fashion so I'm like oh at last at last <laughs> Just I'm, keep on everything. Trendy, <laughs> I'm on trend I'm on trend with teaching um but yeah but thank you for your time there's lots to consider there and lots of bits of research um and lots of practical ways to sort of embed oracy in the classroom and like you said teaching sociology is essential for having those skills because of the language that we use in sociology that isn't you don't go around the playground talking around social construction of gender necessarily should they? <laughs> they should they should <laughs> definitely definitely well thank you for your time and um i look forward to implement some of your ideas in, in my classroom as well and thank you for your time i can sense your passion at, about obviously it isn't just a sort of another thing to do it, it's something that will actually enrich our students and their learning and their future so thank you welcome thank you thank you you take care okay bye thank you bye the sociology staff room is brought to you by tutor to you sociology find us at tutor to you.net forward slash sociology or follow us on twitter at tutor to you sock or instagram at tutor to you sock you can also join our very lively facebook groups for sociology teachers see you soon